Good morning. So good to be with you today as we come to worship our risen Lord and Savior. It's really a blessing, and I appreciate your pastor so much. Got to know him as we got him ordained. That was several years ago, so uh, yeah, and uh, it's been a great privilege to have him, his dear wife, and your elders as part of our denomination and your church family. Our scripture reading from Psalm 139 is a Psalm of David, and this is the gift that God has for you this morning as we hear the word of the Lord. I'm not sure what your church is used to doing, but I remember Ezra in the Old Testament as he was leading God's people, and as he rolled open the scroll, the people out of respect stood as he read God's holy word. And I would ask if you'd be so kind if you're able to stand as we hear the word of the Lord. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I can't attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. The remotest part of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as a day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Oh, God, depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I told Steve I was going to tease him as we turn to God's word, and that is that your pastor is a great example to follow in so many ways, but not this morning as they're leaving. So, And I hope you'll just take that as a, a little joke. I just I'm so blessed to get to know him over the last few years. And the joy that he has in Christ, I think, 
is the way that we should live our lives. And just such a godly man, gracious man, and his wife as well. So what a privilege to be with you this morning. As you know, my name is Robert and been a chaplain for so many years, I'll apologize in advance if my sermon's not long enough. I normally don't do the 45-minute Presbyterian sermon, so um, as a chaplain, you get used to preaching a little bit shorter, and this psalm is so rich. We'll spend some time with it this morning. If you have your Bibles, open to Psalm 139, and the reason I say that is only if you want to follow some of the scripture verses, you'll notice that uh, in the scripture reading that was given, they don't have the verse numbers, and that may make it just a little bit easier for you. Let's bow our hearts together. Loving God, as we open up your holy scriptures, giving thanks that we can gather together in worship, in praise, in adoration. And so we give thanks for this psalm that you have given to us to encourage our hearts. So may you bless each one through Christ our Lord. Amen. As we open up to Psalm 139, the basic theme is your relationship with God. And that is the crux of the psalm. As he begins, he says, God knows all about you. He knows where you are. He knows your needs physically, spiritually, mentally. He knows what you worry about. He knows when you were born. He knew you before you were born. He was there. He watched over the formation of your body when you were in your mother's womb. He knows all about you to the last detail. He created you. He made you. He bought you. These are just such wonderful truths to meditate on, even as we, we, we've just opened up the psalm. And it, this is the, the heart of the psalm is God's relationship with you. He begins with the word Lord, the word Jehovah, because that's God's name. The Lord Jehovah. When God is with Adam and Eve, in chapter 1, you know, it's God made heaven, God made earth. But when he relates to human beings, his name Jehovah, it's just like when you and I meet. Hi, my name's Robert. And the Lord lets us know his name. He knows you by name. And there are three wonderful points here. There are actually a lot more, but being Presbyterian, we somehow always break them down to three points. And the reason the sermon is called God is Knocking, Knocking is for a reason, because we're going to look at three words that are repeated at least twice in this psalm. And normally when that's done, especially in Hebrew poetry like this, it's done because as they would sing the psalm, they would come across the word twice. And the idea is that God is getting our attention more than once. Uh, If we didn't catch it the first time, well, you're in luck because he'll bring it out again to make sure that we understand these essential points. And so in verses 1 to 12, as we start, the first double-knock word there is the word to search. O Lord, you have searched me. And the reason it's a double knock word is because if you look at the end of the chapter in verse 23, you'll see the same word again, kind of like two bookends at each end of this psalm. Think about what it means to be searched. Uh, Perhaps you've been to the airport where 
your beloved pastor and his wife are going, you go through TSA and you get the advanced search. Uh, that happened to me, by the way, um, going to Kuwait. And of all the people they picked on the aircraft, I was the one that was the non-Muslim without it. <laughs> and I thought, I'm sure this is not a random search because they didn't search all the others. And that very detailed search all over to make sure I wasn't carrying anything. And the idea of search here is, is similar. It's the idea to thoroughly examine. Now, this may scare some people because when we talk about thorough examining, if you think of Adam and Eve, when God went searching for them, they were doing the running. They were, <laughs> they were doing the hiding for a reason. Notice in verse 1, you and I, by the way, are not the searchers. We're not the ones searching for God. And it's kind of a, a side note, but the reason we structure worship the way we do in our Presbyterian churches is done as it's prescribed in Scripture. We don't do seeker-sensitive worship because there's really nothing biblical about a seeker. Uh, the seekers, are they're running. <laughs> they're hiding. It's God that does the seeking. And if anyone here this morning thinks that they're the one that came and found Christ, uh, let me subtly correct you here. It's God that was searching for you and for me and found us and brought us to himself. He does the searching, the seeking, the saving, the loving, the buying, the purchasing, the convicting. Jesus is a good shepherd. He searches for his sheep. It says he knows his sheep. He calls them by name. He calls you by name. He knows all about you. Don't let that scare you. It's a deep, deep love that he has for you. Luke 19, Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. And David amplifies this in verse 2, where he says he knows you. He understands you from afar off. In other words, he's all-encompassing. He's fully acquainted. In verse 3, he comprehends you. He is all around. It's the idea of the encompassing is of like winnowing, if you've ever seen that with the fork and the wheat, and as the uh, farmer is throwing the wheat in the air and the chaff blows away, that's the idea of God being encompassing around you, is that he fully understands what your needs are, your desires are. He knows when you sit down, when you stand up. He knows your thoughts, your motives. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He knows what you're thinking before you think it. He hedges you around. In other words, it's like a fence. God is in front of you wherever you go. God's behind you. God sends his angels around you, but not only that, he's there with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He searches for you. It's an intimate, deep, personal loving, finding, to protect you, to bless you, to always be with you. Think of the story in the Old Testament of Elisha and the Syrian army. If you don't remember that story, Elisha had a servant, Gehazi, and uh, they're in this city, and Gehazi gets up in the morning, and he stretches and yawns, and he goes outside, and he's suddenly awakened better than coffee is to see the Syrian army all around him. And basically, Gehazi freaks out. And he goes back inside and, and calls his master, Elisha, uh, you got to come out quick. 
So Elisha gets up and of course he yawns and looks outside and he's not disturbed. And he has a simple prayer. Lord, open his eyes. And that's when Gehazi was able to see the army of God all around them. Even in the midst of trouble, in the deepest, darkest moment, God never leaves you or forsakes you. So the first double knock word is search, right? Just making sure. Second double knot work as we, word as we go on is actually found six times in this psalm in verse 1 and 2, 4 and 6, and that's the word to know. Lord, you've searched me, you've known me. Then in verse 2, you know when I sit down. Then in verse 4, there's not a word in my tongue, but you know it altogether. Verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart, know my thoughts. You're probably aware of this, but the word know there is actually another word in Hebrew that implies love. Because the word to know is that intimate, personal knowledge. When you're married to someone, you get to know them. That's why I was thinking this morning as Pastor Hill was introducing me with all those nice flowery things, that if my wife was here, she would say, who is that man? But the idea of knowing is that the intimate knowing all the good, all the bad, all the ins, all the outs, so much so that you've been married 40-some years, you know what your mate's going to say. And sometimes I'll do that. I'll get in a squeaky high voice to imitate my wife's voice, and she'll laugh because that was what she was going to say. We know each other. That's the idea here where Adam knew Eve, the idea of conception, but the ideas of intimacy, of, of being totally involved with each other. In Jeremiah 11, God says, before I formed you, I knew you. He loved you. He knew all about you. And it's a double knock word, not only twice, but six times in this psalm for a reason. God wants to get across to you his relationship with you that he knows who you are and what you've done. That can sound pretty ominous, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, plead guilty. But he's also provided a way for forgiveness. And so it's not a case that, oh, gee, God knows, you know, and I got to feel eternally guilty. No, it's the other way. We as Christians of all have our guilt and shame that have been nailed to the cross of Christ, the Son of God incarnate who gave himself for you and me. And it's because he knows us, it's because he loves us, it's because he cares so deeply for us that God came down from heaven's glory to pay the price. He knows what we need. He knows what's best for us. And in spite of our sin, he loves us. Isn't that amazing? If you're not amazed by that, uh, (laughs) give it some thought. God knows all about you, and yet he still loves you deeply. So what are some implications of this? Well, first of all, why worry? I don't know if you're a worrier. Some people have some anxiety. Sometime. God already knows what's going to happen today. He knows your need. He'll provide for you. He'll protect you. So 
if God knows me, if God loves me, do you ever feel sometimes like God isn't there? Have you ever felt like when you prayed that, you know, is he hearing? (laughs) Are you there? If you felt that way, you're not the only one. That's why this psalm comes in so handy and why this word no is repeated six times. He's always there. He's always listening. He already knows your needs. He is in all around you. So in Colossians 1, I just want to quote for a minute from Colossians 1. In verse 17, it says, In Christ all things consist. In other words, not only is God holding you, not only is God holding you and you and you and you, but God is holding the universe. If Christ wasn't doing this on a constant basis, the universe would not be held together. That's Colossians 1.17. Colossians 1.24 says Christ is in you. Do you see the progression as we go? Paul says that you're complete in Christ. If I could borrow from Rene Zellweger, uh, he completes you. (laughs) He completes you fully. In Colossians 3.4, Paul says Christ is your life. And mine. When you fall in love, what do you want to do? You want to live with and for that other person. And so it is with our relationship with God. Perhaps you remember that hymn, uh, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus, Vast, Unmeasured, Boundless, Free. Now, I, I love the ocean. And I picture being in the ocean, if you've ever done that, or if not, maybe in a swimming pool where you're surrounded by water. Well, picture that as a love of God. And wherever you go, the ocean is there. That God's love is going to surround you every moment of every day of your life as he watches over you till he takes you to glory to be with him. Think of what it's like to be an unbeliever and not have any of that to trust in. No wonder they act so chaotic and crazy. But we don't have to act that way. In fact, that's Paul's prayer for us in Ephesians 3.18. To understand, to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. To know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. How does that come? As we meditate, we start to understand, wow, this is overwhelming love. This is Love like I've never known or experienced before. That's the idea in this psalm when it talks about God relating to you and searching you, and then he knows you and he knows all about you and cares deeply for you. So let me ask you an important question here. It's a very important question, actually. Do you know him? Is Christ your Savior? Is Jesus your Lord? Do you love him? Remember Martin, Martin Luther at one point in his conversion said, no, I don't love God, I hate him. Because he felt all this guilt and didn't realize the forgiveness that could be gotten freely. But then he fell in love with him. There's a famous theologian, Dr. R.C. Sproul. He defines a Christian as one who loves Jesus. That's about as simple as it gets, but you know, it really speaks to the heart, doesn't it? One who loves Jesus. That's the question. Do you love him? Do you have an intimate, personal, daily, constant relationship with him? 
so that when you wake up the morning, the first thing you think about is, thank you, Lord, that you're with me, and your last breath at night before you go to sleep. God loves you. He knows you. That's our second double-knock word. The first one is searches, and the second is he knows us. So the third double-knock word is found actually in verses 6 and 14. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Then verse 14, I'll praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. In the Hebrew, it's wonderful are your works. As David contemplates, and of course this is inspired by the Holy Spirit, but as he thinks about all these things, in verses 13 to 18, as he thinks about how the body is formulated and all that, it just causes to cry out, this is wonderful. <laughs> this is amazing. It's glorious. And so in verse 14, the, the double knock here is in verse 14 where the words are uh, put together there. Wonderful, wonderful, incomprehensible, miraculous. It's repeated twice. Uh, it's nipleti, niplim, wonderful. How wonderful is our God. In fact, there used to be a little uh, song that went that way. Wonderful, wonderful Jesus is to me. And he is. If you remember Samson and his father Manoah, Manoah and his wife wanted a baby. They weren't able to have a baby. And so this being appears to Manoah one day and says, your wife's going to have a son and tells him all about the son. And so Manoah looks at this person and basically says, who are you? What's your name? You know, are you a prophet? Are you an angel? What is this? And the being looks at him and says, my name is wonderful. My name is wonderful. That's how God introduced himself to Manoah when they were given the son, Samson. He's the God that does the impossible, the one that speaks the universe into existence. That's how wonderful our God is. We take the sun for granted that it's going to rise in the morning, right? We don't even think about it. Well, we should. <laughs> Because it's a sign of God's faithfulness to us. The moon at night, isn't that wonderful? God gave us a, a night light up there that he puts at night. And the stars to remind us of the covenant with Abraham and the flowers and the trees with the delicious fruit and nuts and the birds that sing every morning and this wonderful symphony of praise to our God. All these things remind us how wonderful God is his presence with us, the full knowledge he has of you and me, how wonderfully grand and glorious he is. This word wonderful is actually used 71 times in the Old Testament. Unfortunately, most of the times it's preceded by the words they forgot. They forgot his wonderful works. One of those times was during the days of Moses. Remember, they had this food that came down from heaven. That's, it sounds pretty good to us, you know. You have food brought right to your doorstep, and you just go outside, pick it up every morning. It's uh, sweet bread is what it was given to them by God. But that wasn't enough. 
They, they got tired of this manna. What did they want? Do you remember? We're carnivores, right? We, <laughs> we want to eat meat. And they were crying to Moses for meat. And so Moses goes to God, and he's tired of the people, but he says they want meat. So God says, I'll give you meat. And Moses responds with thank you, right? <laughs> no. Moses said, where in the world are you going to get meat? We're out in this desert. There's nothing here. He's talking to God. And remember God's response? God asks Moses, has my hand grown short? Did I lose my power somewhere? Am I now the creator of the universe, but I can't provide meat? And remember what he did? He had quail come, right? In fact, there are so many quail that came, it darkened the sky. And they ate quail, it says, till it came, <laughs> came out of their noses. They were just sick of quail. We insult God when we forget how wonderful he is. It's an insult to God. When you read a psalm, the important thing to remember is Try to divide it in half, and that's going to tell you basically what the big point of the psalm is. So we've got 24 verses here, and so basically around verses 12 to 14 is where you're going to find the main emphasis. And that's where you find the main emphasis of wonderful, wonderful, the middle of the psalm. And, and as David goes on, he just goes on to show how incredible God is. You're intricately woven. I work at the VA hospital, and as I have the privilege of visiting patients and walking around the wards, uh, in many of the spaces they have different charts, right? So when I'm in the eye clinic, they have a chart of the eye and the audiology in the ear, and you get the idea. But as I go there, I just take a minute and I look at this eye, and they have all the different parts in the eye and all the neurons going from there, and it's incredible. And you think that we take this binocular vision for granted and we see in color and all that, how it's amazing that transmits this light into our brain that we can actually see or the waves that come into our ears and how it goes in the tympanic membrane and different things and how we feel and touch and smell and taste and swallow. I've learned not to take anything for granted. The fact even that I have two arms and two legs, we have so many veterans that... Uh, I only have one leg or one arm. How about, do you take it for granted that you swallow? I mean, we have saliva, then you got your tongue, your esophagus, your trachea, and isn't that kind of nice that one closes and the other one, <laughs> that way it goes down the right tube, you know what I mean? Uh, we don't even think about it. Uh, when you go to bed at night, do you worry if your heart's going to beat all the way through at night? Uh, hopefully not, unless you have heart failure, I guess. But the, the point of that is, think of how God made us. So that we can go to sleep, we breathe, we have all these things going on in our body, and God made it so we could rest. I, I know this may seem simple, but it's really just speaks to how wonderful God is. I, I love birds, and at night God made birds that their feet can lock on the perch. Did you know that? That way they don't fall off. <laughs> Do you ever wonder why they don't fall off? Because when they do that, they can sleep. Or the little hummingbird that needs to eat every 15 minutes goes in a torpor at night. 
the body temperature actually goes down to about room temperature, outside temperature, so that they can sleep a full night without needing to eat. Isn't our God wonderful? Just marvelous and glorious. And the most wonderful things are that he cares so much for us. And I know I keep repeating myself, but that's okay because it's such a deep point that we don't want to forget it. In fact, he points out that he's got a purpose and plan for your life. You know how many people today have no idea why they're on planet Earth, don't know what they're doing, and are aimlessly wandering about? And he talks about, in the following verses, how he has all your days in his book. That's in verse 16. All fashioned for you. He has a will for you each and every day of your life. We've got a guy on hospice at the uh, VA hospital there, and he asked me, and I tried to tell him. He, he says, I don't know why God's extended me so long. He says, I was supposed to die, the doctor said, six months ago. And then his cancer goes in remission, and he's almost disappointed. And I said, you know, God's got you here for a reason. And try to minister to him that way, and uh, he claims to know Christ. God's going to take you when he's ready. All your days were written in the book, the days fashioned for me. He knows the day of your birth. He knows your life. He knows the day he's going to take you home to be with him. All your days are written. Verses 17 and 18, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Uh, As Forrest Gump would say, he thinks about you all the time. All the time. Have you ever tried counting the grains of sand, by the way? I had a tour in Iraq, and frequently we would fly these helicopters, and literally everywhere you looked, there was sand. And I thought about this verse when I was out there. Uh, how much sand, and, and picture sitting there and you're starting to count the grains of sand. How many times does God think about, man, you know, even if you just had this much, that'd be a lot of sand to count, a lot of grains. How many times does God think about you? It's more than the grains of sand. Don't ever doubt that he cares about you deeply. I love Psalm 40, verse 17. It says, I'm poor, I'm needy, I'm insignificant. Yet the Lord thinks about me. Isn't isn't that wonderful? The God of the universe thinks about you. Now we come to those favorite words, the conclusion. And I have to warn you, I'm not done yet, but we are sort of getting to the conclusion. Because when we come to verse 19... It's so different from the rest of the psalm. A person could read it and say, uh, someone made a mistake. They kind (laughs) of cut out something else and and glued and pasted it in here because he talks about that, the gloriousness of God. Then he says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God. Depart from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. By the way, that just hurts me so much if we have to be watching a movie and they use the name Jesus as a swear word. It's just so profane. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. How does this fit into this psalm? Because if we know all the stuff that just followed, 
this is going to be our desire. We don't want to go in the way of the wicked. We don't want to follow that path. We want to please our Lord and Savior. We want to walk in God's ways. And so he talks about how he's tired of that, how he's sick of that, how he hates sin. Then he prays. His prayer, with the word we started with, search me, O God. That's the bookend. He starts with it, he ends with it. Here's his prayer, search me, O God. Know my heart. Look in me, try my thoughts. And notice the word there really isn't thoughts, it's actually the word anxieties. What anxieties do you have today? This is a time to unload them. And that's actually the words your pastor used this morning from Matthew, where Jesus said that we give him our burdens and what's troubling us. And then the psalmist prays, see if there be any grievous way in me. Have God correct your path this morning if you go in the wrong direction. Uh, this is the advantage of being a chaplain. I talk to so many people and so many, so many misguided people, and I tell them, you, you don't have to go on that road anymore. I said, it's, it's easy to go from there to this road, and you can do it today. And it's, it's not a long journey to get to that and get on the right road. Lord, call my anxieties. Remove evil and wickedness from me. Lead me today in the everlasting way. That's the way we want to go. And so the response that this psalm asks of you and me is to look to the Lord each day. When you wake up in the morning, give thanks. Think of things to be thankful for. It's a great way to start the day. Ask the Lord to guide you, to search you, to provide for you, to lead you in the way everlasting. As we pray, I want to use the prayer of St. Patrick. So let us pray. Dear God, Heavenly Father, may your strength lead us this morning. May your might uphold us. May your wisdom guide us. May your eye look before us. May your ear bend down to hear us. May your word speak to us. May your hand guard us. O oh Lord, may your way go before us. May your shield protect us. May your angelic host help us. Lord Jesus Christ, shield us. Christ be with us. Christ before us. Christ behind us. Christ in us. Christ beneath us. Christ above us. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I rise up. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in the eye that sees me, Christ in the ear that hears me. And so, Lord, search us, O God. Know each heart. Test us. Know our anxieties. See if there be any wicked way in us. Lead us in the way everlasting through Christ our Lord. Amen.